Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is reacting to the NBA semifinals and previewing the NBA conference finals. But we could not do this episode alone. We are joined by two very special guests. So first, from the impact, please welcome Ian Evans. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be a good one. Look, I had um, I had permission. Full toxicity, you know, within boundaries, right? You know, it's a respectable podcast, you know what I'm saying? You know, we can't wild out to a point where, you know, it can't air. You know, it's not Adult Swim. It's not TV mature. You know, we keep it PG-13, you know what I'm saying? So um, I- I'm here for it. Uh, it should be a good one. Thanks for having me again. And our other guest today from the Hear Me Out podcast, please welcome Brooks Warren. What it do, what it do, y'all. Yes, sir. All right. And now I'm going to throw it to Jalen now. He's got some questions for us. So, Jalen, take it away. Yeah, bros. Uh, there was no other way that we could go ahead and do this pod um, other than having the guys on because uh, your boy had a live stream uh, a couple days ago post-Atlanta Hawks supremacy moving into the conference finals. And um, it was a lot of a lot of things thrown out there, a lot of shade, a lot of disrespect, um, a lot of slander, and um, I was enjoying the energy so much that I felt as though this was the only way that we could host this podcast. We also have to name this podcast something very specific. We're going to call it the Fraud Alert Pod. If you have never listened to this podcast before, well, get used to what's about to take place. It's not like anything else we usually do, Um, but for real though. We're going to go down a list of a couple of frauds that we have to put the jury out on from a couple of the series from the semifinal rounds. Um, Brooks, we've done something similar to this beforehand. I don't know if you remember this, but episode 50, episode 50 of the HTP, we had our first ever collab with the Hear Me Out podcast. I remember what you're talking about now. One of our most viral clips was titled is james harden a fraud this is back when he was on the houston rockets we're back to the tomfoolery as we have to start off this podcast talking about james harden once again for the brooklyn nets the the one-legged bandit for the brooklyn nets (laughs) ryan i'm gonna start with you on this one bro is it even fair to call James Harden a fraud coming off of the series that we watched in Milwaukee. To put things in perspective, there's a lot of things that did not go normal James Harden route. Now, I, now debatable on what you want to say in terms of what's normal for James Harden. Are we talking about playoff normal? Are we talking about James Harden normal? What are we talking about? There's a lot of different routes that you can go with it. But to put things in perspective, let's talk about it like this. In the series... For uh, Brooklyn specifically, he was a guy who averaged just barely 10 points per game, was a guy who shot about 30 percent, about 30, 35 percent from the floor, showed little explosiveness and pretty much was the Alfred, not even Robin, to what we watch as a Batman like performance from Kevin Durant. But the man was injured. 
and there was no Kyrie Irving. And this was the Milwaukee Bucks, who I guess you could say are arguably the healthiest team in the NBA playoffs left. So is James Harden deserving of the fraud tag? No. And I think when we look at this entire playoff run, we have to keep in mind that he had a pretty good opening series against the Celtics, but things kind of fell apart when he got injured. I do blame this on the injury because I do think watching James Harden, especially in Game 5, he was not himself. You could tell the explosiveness wasn't there. The shooting wasn't there. I just think that it was really tough to judge James Harden off of that performance, off of that series, because he wasn't 100%. Game 6 looked a lot more like him. Game 7, even though he did not shoot the ball well, I do kind of give the injury as I do kind of bring up the injury as the reason why he wasn't shooting well, because that hamstring has been bothering him throughout the entire season. So if this were any other case, I would say he was a fraud, but he was injured. So I'm going to give him a pass. Okay, so Ian, I'm thinking with these circumstances, right, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about James Harden and fraudulence is the fact that when we talk about the postseason, this is a guy who does not do regular season MVP caliber things. Um, this season in particularly, like I said beforehand, the dude cracked just barely over 10 points per game um, in this series against Milwaukee, shot 30% from the floor, just barely under 20% from three. There was a point, I think, in the game, one of the most viral clips that we saw when it came to James Harden was a loose ball grab that instead of pushing the pace, he actually turns around and slows the ball down, showing that he was not really, I guess, eager <laughs> to show off his uh, athleticism considering the circumstances. So looking at James Harden in this series in particular and what he was supposed to mean to the Brooklyn Nets after the blockbuster trade that they made, how do you feel about James Harden coming off of this season in his totality? That's a good question. It's wild because um, I'm actually agreeing with Ryan. That's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, um, I have to agree. I don't, like I kind of was confused when I saw it. Like the first time we when you gave us the list, um, it makes sense for the season to say he's a fraud, but for the series alone, I don't think it is. I'll get a little personal. I've had a grade two hamstring injury before. It is very tough to play on it. I tried playing on it at SJC one year, and I was like, nope. It was only one game. Granted, I'm not an NBA player. We all know this, but it's very tough. Your athleticism is slowed completely to a point where you don't want to make explosive plays. All you want to, granted, Brooks has seen me play now. All I really do is basically shoot. But, you know, I still have a quick first step and Yo, all that. this man's got a fucking want... clip. <laughs> Crazy. But you don't, you don't want to do all that. You don't want to do all that on a grade two hamstring uh, strain. So that's why I don't think he's necessarily a fraud. It's tough to, you know, put up the numbers he was doing when healthy on that type of injury. Before the season, like to answer your question, yeah, I'd say he's a fraud. He went into... Houston's preseason looking like Kendrick Perkins basically out of shape, didn't want to play, and was talking too much in the media instead of actually paying attention to Houston. Obviously, he wanted out. But then on top of that, you know, he leaves, gets traded to the Nets, does well, was in the MVP, MVP conversation, and then, again, had a pretty good series against the Celtics. And then, you know, injury, lackluster series against uh, the Bucks. Over the totality of the season, to answer the question, yeah, I would say he's a fraud. Before the series alone, I, I wouldn't say so. Okay, so Brooks, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of air things out this way, talking about James Harden 
and I'm going to explain myself a little bit when we when I phrase this question to you. So for me, when I sent you guys the readout, the reality of the situation is I don't believe James Harden is a fraud either. The reason why I put him on fraud alert is actually to call out somebody else. That's the Twitter coaches. I'm kind of sick of the Twitter coaches. And something that I saw along Twitter, uh, Twitter a lot throughout this series was the belief that James Harden's injury should have made him unplayable. Um, we've seen this dude play full games. Of course, we saw the virtuoso performance by Kevin Durant in which James Harden also participated in pretty much the entire game, despite grade two hamstring, as mentioned beforehand. And Twitter said that he should not be on the floor, that he was a net negative. A lot of the numbers maybe would probably even tell you that his overall impact on the floor was not great. But I would push back and say the overall presence of a guy like James Harden is what allows somebody like Kevin Durant, for example, to get off. Not that he can't do it by himself, right? But the very threat of another guy like James Harden on the floor is huge. I think the same thing goes for um circumstances like when Jay uh when uh Jeff Green went off a similar circumstance with that right so to go with that right talking about Twitter coaches making decisions do you feel as though James Harden was unplayable and you saw with with the Twitter coaching that maybe he was a guy who maybe it was better for Steve Nash to leave him off the floor and see if they could get other minutes elsewhere i guess uh mike james and other guys of that ilk probably would have came to mind or do you think that steve nash made the right call game five james harden was basically just a threat he wasn't he wasn't going to be the guy that was going to save that team second half they had to give kevin durant the ball in order for him to save the nets you know what i mean he had that 49 point triple double um all-time all-time performance like you said virtuoso James Harden had to give up the ball and not even really be James Harden for it in order for that to happen. Game six and game seven, he looked a whole lot better. He looked a whole lot healthier. He was more willing to do what James Harden does. So game one game, I'll say, yeah, he probably shouldn't have been on the floor. Uh, uh, Ian, I, I've had a similar experience running track. I pulled my hamstring. I've had a hamstring strain before multiple times. I've even pulled my groin. So I know that pain, and I know it's hard to play sports with – a leg injury, especially a soft a soft leg injury like that. So yeah, James Harden probably shouldn't have been on the floor game game five, but six and seven he was a meaningful contributor contributor. So and and they they're going to need him regardless, especially with Kyrie out. We saw what happened when it was just KD on the floor by himself. So yeah, you needed at least one of them on the floor. Unfortunately, James Harden had just had a, a bad game five, but no Steve Nash. He did what he had to do, and I and I I certainly understand that. So I'm around robbing this real quick, going back to Ryan. James Harden healthy. Let's exclude Kyrie from this circumstance, considering that this is a guy that missed the majority of the series. James Harden healthy. Does 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 Brooklyn move on? I would say yes, because he's that additional scoring threat, like Brooks mentioned. I think he's that additional scoring threat that makes Brooklyn even more dangerous, even if it was just Kevin Durant. Like, if you think about his effect, not only throughout the regular season, but like I said with the playoffs, he was that second, third guy, or second or third guy that Brooklyn needed to be a reliable scoring option. So, again, I think James Harden healthy would would have made Brooklyn a much more dangerous team going forward. 
Ian, how you feel about that, bro? I think it, I feel I feel like it's a safe call, but again, we we've seen James Harden fold in the playoffs beforehand. Especially we're talking about this going down to seven games. I had Brooklyn winning in seven games. That was when everybody was on the floor. So how do you feel about this 2020 hindsight? If you feel like you know seeing James Harden healthy, what would that have done? Yeah, this this podcast already crazy. I'm agreeing with Ryan twice. I mean, granted, first one you know is more. Uh, is my opinion, but second one, I feel like it's just kind of obvious. Um, if James Harden stays healthy, even with Kyrie out, I still think they win. Um, again, we saw what healthy him was doing with the Celtics. I mean, we've already, you know, reiterated on this point. I think it's, it's safe to say, honestly, they may could have even won in six, honestly, but, um, I, I still think with a healthy Harden, they move on. Brooks, similar sentiments, bro. I, I would, I would have to say, I would I, I would rather want Kyrie than I than I would want James Harden. The mm. one thing for me is the fact that James Harden was the de facto point guard for this squad, mm. and he was going to be the playmaker, facilitator. He made sure everybody's egos was checked as far as getting the shot tri- distribution. But we all know about his, his playoff performances, and we all know what he's incapable of doing when the lights are the brightest. Game seven, we we all saw what happened. Game seven against the Warriors. 27 mysteries. I believe he had what, what at least like nine or ten of those, just himself. Mm-hmm. So, can you rely on him to win a game seven? No, not necessarily. But mm-hmm. we see that Kyrie could do it. We saw what he's done against the Warriors. Mm-hmm. We've seen what he's done in, throughout his career in the playoffs. You know, albeit one season with this with the Celtics when he effectively kind of just like crapped out. Mm-hmm. Sorry to bring that up, Ian, but like. Yeah, if I if I had to choose between James Harden and Kyrie to be healthy for this playoff run, I would say Kyrie probably makes the Nets more dangerous than James Harden does, just just as a scorer and as a as a as a playmaking threat. Mm. And that's really why I kind of went around and asked about it was because I think the big thing about it is not even just James Harden's history, but his actual position on the floor, his actual role within this team from what we've seen so far this year hasn't been to go get a bucket. So in a playoff scenario where you've been relegated to this third role, despite the fact that I guess he would be he would be second on the pecking order if Kyrie's out, but he's been in this third role of just being a distributor so long within the system, could he turn it back on? Or is he gonna just fall so deep into that role that he maintains being this guy who can easily scapegoat to as an underperformer? So that's kind of why I brought it up. Uh, the other reason why I even brought this up in general is kind of just to slowly ease our way into some of these guys who we're going to be talking about today. I think James Harden is probably uh, the least of our worries in today's list in terms of guys that I think we have our concerns with. So I kind of want to move into something a little bit more uh, up for debate, I think. And that is Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz. We're going to kind of two-part this one, starting with Rudy Gobert and then kind of move over to Quinn Snyder. In terms of talking about the Jazz, but Ryan, I'm going to start with you, bro. What are your initial thoughts um, coming off of the series that we just saw when it comes to Rudy Gobert and just maybe even just the Jazz in general? Because I think that everybody's um, assumption post-Kawhi Leonard injury is Utah got this one jammed. They got this one. Chris Paul is coming back for uh, game three, guys. Yeah, that's we're going to talk about that a little bit later, too, because that's going to be really important talking about that series. But when I looked at that, when I look at that series against the Clippers, 
I think everybody's assumption when Kawhi Leonard went down was Utah is supposed to take that. And so to proceed to lose the next four games, not even push it to a game seven, Rudy Gobert, his highest point total in the series, in the entire series, was 17 points in game five. Outside of that, he was a net negative defensively in the last two games, two games that were seriously huge in terms of this team being able to maintain this season. He got zero blocks and four turnovers. Not very good in comparison to the first couple of games in that series where he totaled seven blocks and he had, I think he had about six turnovers. So the, uh, assist, uh, the block to turnover ratio wasn't great. His defense versus his ability to hold on to the ball is basically what I'm talking about. So what are your takeaways from the Utah versus LA series? And maybe try to specifically hone in on Rudy Gobert or uh, maybe his lack of presence. I think when we're looking at this Utah Jazz team as a whole, this is not a team that Rudy Gobert is going to be a number one option on. Because if you see the way that this team has evolved, this is a three-point shooting team through and through. Now, with that being said, yeah, Rudy Gobert did struggle in, in, in this series. But I don't think he was the weak link, essentially, with this Utah Jazz team. I do think that when we're, t- when we're looking at this Utah Jazz team overall, I don't know about you guys, but I'm under the impression now that this team has hit a ceiling and they're going to continue to hit it unless something changes. But I feel like until that changes, they're going to keep either running into the same obstacles that they've been running into. They may not make it past the conference semifinals. I don't think that this is actually Rudy Gobert's fault. I mean, I know that we're jumping the gun on this. I do think that Quinn Snyder is partially to blame for the lack of playoff success in Utah. Like, I know there is a a huge role to fill with a guy like Jerry Sloan because, like, he was such a phenomenal coach in Utah, and you're you're kind of trying to live up up to that legacy of making the conference finals and making the NBA finals. But Utah Jazz have not made either the conference finals or the finals since Jerry Sloan was the coach. So I do kind of feel like that they have continually hit the ceiling where I don't think it's just Rudy Gobert's fault. I do have to look at multiple people to blame. So, uh, Ian, as we progress through this podcast, I want to make it clear that I am trying to ask very tough questions. With James Harden, the questions were a bit easier because I think at the end of the day, I think health had a lot more to do with the success of the Milwaukee Bucks than anything. Talking about this, though, I think the tough question we have to ask ourselves is, can the Utah Jazz win with Rudy Gobert as your centerpiece of this franchise alongside Donovan Mitchell? I think that that's a big question that has to come into mind, considering that he's the highest paid player on the fran- on the franchise at $35 million hitting next season. Donovan Mitchell is 25 years old, getting old, $28 mil next season. This team has a lot of money invested in just those two guys alone, not to mention 13 mil in Joe Ingles, 18 mil to Bojan Bogdanovich, 12 mil to Jordan Clarkson. There is a wonder as to whether or not they're going to be willing to throw some money at Mike Conley. Rudy Gobert is coming off a defensive player of the year, which might come off as relatively ironic after getting played off the floor against the Clippers in a small ball lineup. 
can he be the guy that's your highest paid player on your team? Can he be a guy that Utah Jazz that Utah Jazz should feel confident in moving forward with? Or is it trade simulator time? <clears throat> let me let me let me collect my thoughts real quick because uh, a good question, but I gotta go in on this man Rudy Gobert. All right, mm-hmm. um, this man won the depoy. Um, granted, he was my pick at the beginning of the year, but that was beginning of the year. Um, uh, this man has a tendency to fold like origami when it comes to the playoffs, man. And, and it sucks because I actually like Rudy Gobert. I do, I do. Like, like if you still have beef with him over, you know, Corona and all that, just get over it at this point. Really, seriously, as simple as that. But, but coming to this man. You, you already mentioned it before. How are you going to win Depoy? And in the last two games of the series, you have zero blocks. How are you going to have a plus minus of 24 and worse in those last two games as well? We're talking about you have the, the perfect opportunity to beat a team without one of their best players in Kawhi Leonard. And you still fold the rest of the games after going up too well. Make that make sense. You win Depoy, right? Right. You win Depoy. How in game six, did y'all, did y'all know in game six that when Rudy was the closest or primary defender on, on any Clipper, every single one of their shot attempts, 15 of those went in. 15 of the 19 went in. That's 71% on the Depoy. On the Depoy. How are you going to be the depoy and then fold like that when your team needs you the most? So to answer your question, should he be the highest paid player on the team? Absolutely not. I don't care how many depoys you have. I do not care. You have to show and prove when it matters the most. Simple as that. And he doesn't ha- and he doesn't do that. Will I say we have to go trade simulator time? No. Give him a couple years. But it's it's to a point where where, where do you call it? Where do you call it? Where, like, I don't think he's that guy right now, but he has a couple more years to prove that he can be. Because you can't keep doing this year after year after year. It's as simple as that. If you are the deport, meaning you are one of the best defenders, period. I'm going to say this is the second or third uh, time winning it or something like that. Prove it. Prove it. Simple as that. I'm not talking about prove it against the Memphis team that had to get to a play-in. Beach from the first game, who cares? And then obviously you won in five. You have to prove it when it matters the most, when it matters to when you're playing comp. Simple as that. I'm not saying, like, respect to John Moran and the Grizzlies. Y'all are not going to the next round. You know what I'm saying? But prove it when it matters the most, and he doesn't do that. So when I say he, he's not the guy, that's what I mean, because he doesn't prove it when it matters the most. Mitchell, oh, we got to free Donovan Mitchell at one point. We do. We really do. I'm really? not I'm already not free Brad. I'm not getting away from free Brad. Don't even do that. I'm not getting away from free Brad. It's still free Brad until further notice. But we, we're on the verge of free Donovan Mitchell, too. So right now, I don't think he's that guy because he's not proving it when it matters the most. So, Brooks, let's take everything that's been said, right, and move forward into terms of talking about Utah as a team around Rudy Gobert. One of the biggest things that stood out to me is that everybody around Rudy is is a non-defender. 
all of them. I think the only guy that probably stands out most of all is Royce O'Neal, and he's a net negative offensively in terms of being a guy that you're going to be expected to give you any kind of offensive threat, not even really as a three-point shooter. He's an okay three-point shooter, but not somebody that I'm worried about, you know, being a dead eye, not a Jay Crowder type or anything of that at that three spot. So you look at Donovan Mitchell, you look at Bojan, you look at Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson, regardless of who you put around a guy in Rudy Gobert, they have really no defensive acumen at all. Their entire defensive scheme is set up around funnel them to Rudy and make them face seven foot plus wingspan of trying to get to the basket. Something that I personally don't think is extremely effective. You're asking one guy to basically basically play all the defense for you. Um, which again, okay, defensive player of the year. I think that's very important that yes, you put in your entire defensive scheme around a guy, but there comes a point, especially in the playoffs where you see a team, the same team specifically every other night where it's like, how much more can you ask of this man? So I'll pose this question to you. Who is more to blame? Rudy Gobert or his supporting cast? Pretty good merit or a supporting cast for being unable to, uh, man, listen, game six, man, you're up 25 points, right? You're up 25 mm-hmm. points, come out the third quarter, Donovan Mitchell hits that 30 footer, they're up like what, 20, 28, I guess at that point? Mm-hmm. And then you have a super epic collapse, you allow a second year player to, to put up, what was it, like 25 points in the second half, something crazy like that, hit all those threes, um, Rudy Gobert certainly does deserve a, a big part of that trouble because of the fact that, again, this guy cannot defend the space. Mm-hmm. And we've been saying that about him since, what was it, last year, uh, 2019, when he was getting torched by James Harden again. He was getting torched by uh, uh, Jokic or Jamal Murray whenever he, got, whenever he got guarded or whenever he guarded them. So we know what his weakness is. He's not going to be able to get you out in the space. He's not going to be able to slide his feet. We know that he's not the athletic marvel that you want that you see in like AD or a DeAndre Ayton, Andre Drummond, whatever it may be. So at that point, Quinn Snyder, you got to be able to mask that 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 issue. Got to be able to help him out, keep him in the paint, put another put put somebody else on Terrence Mann. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it, it shouldn't be that hard because you know what he's good at. So keep him out the keep him in the paint. That's all you got to do. So I. I can't I can't single out any any big issue. I re, I, re, I really can't blame one specific guy, but I would say I would say it's I would say it's on the supporting cast, I guess, that they didn't uh address that issue and they didn't uh make an adjustment. Yeah, they didn't make an adjustment to to make this better. I mean, I think that's huge that you stated that way, just out of the mere fact that, like, yes, the, the perimeter defense was the thing that hurt them the most, right? The idea is that their, their, their whole system is lined up around making guys drive and making them meet Rudy. But it's like, after a while, <laughs> how many times are you going to get away with them missing shots or vi- or vying away from taking shots just simply because of Rudy's presence? Terrence Mann, for example, playing with zero fear, caught two bodies. <laughs> and that kind of was the definition of how the series, or more of a microcosm of how the series went over those last four games of the series. Ryan, I'm going to flip it to you back this way. We're going to finally get into the coaching aspect of this because Brooks kind of slowly waned into it, talking about the schematics of it. 
Again, we're here to ask tough questions, and I feel like an interesting question that's really been floating around as of late is, is Utah Bucks out west? Because I'm starting to really wonder if that ceiling that you were talking about earlier is one of those things that is going to really be the downfall of this team. You look at what their circumstances are. They're pretty locked up. There's not a lot of moves they can make roster construction-wise. They got the little bit of money maybe they'll be able to make up if they don't bring a guy like Mike Conley back. But the kind of draft capital they traded to the Memphis Grizzlies makes you kind of think that they would want to retain a guy like that, especially in a free agent crop that ain't too crazy. The guards, mm, debatable, depending on if maybe you're talking about a Kyle Lowry or something like that. But I don't think this is the team where that that a guy like that will end up going. So Mike Conley's probably at the top of your list. So we think about this team pretty locked up with their main guys, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, Jordan Clarkson. Um, I think even Derek Favors and Royce O'Neal are two guys that are pretty prominent within this rotation. But I don't really see, with the fact that they can't really get better in the offseason, I don't see it getting any better than this. Best record in the West, best record overall, and you hit your head on the second round against an undermanned Clippers team. Uh, so with that being the case, like I said, is, are, is this... Is this Utah team Milwaukee out west where we should be having concerns about whether or not the superstar might want to stick around, whether or not their coach should be on a hotter seat than what his record should tell them? How do you feel about that? Well, there's multiple factors in play, and I do kind of feel like there is that sense that this is the Milwaukee Bucks out west, essentially. You did not give Rudy Gobert the help that he needed in this series for him to be a better defensive player than what he was in this series. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jalen, but this Utah Jazz team drafted Udoka as a weekend from Kansas. His entire game plan is him being a defensive rim protector. Where was he in this series, Jalen? Where was he in this series? He was nowhere to be found. I saw a lot of DMPs. They played Derek Favors a lot, which, I mean, I guess he was pretty good in game one, able to get a lot of stops. I mean, you get a guy like you took as a Wicke, develop him and make him a similar player like Rudy Gobert is. That's number one. Number two, I do think that the supporting cast, it's not going to change considering a lot of the players are locked up. Mike Conley is basically your starting point guard. And I don't think there's any way around that. I think when we're looking at Jordan Clarkson, Jordan Clarkson's a two guard. And he plays better coming off the bench. So I don't think that he should be starting at all. So if there is a priority, I mean, I don't know what their draft is looking like this year. You could maybe fix the point guard position. But again, you get Mike Conley, and he's he's a pretty good point guard when he's healthy. So I just think that there's not a lot of room to work with if you're Utah. And if we're talking about the coach in this situation, I do think Quinn Snyder is on the hot seat because – Again, this is a talented Utah team. There's no doubt that they have people on this team where they can win a championship. But the adjustments that he failed to make in this series to give Rudy Gobert help, and I would say the inability to stop guys like Terrence Mann who really weren't weren't factors at the beginning of the series, I would say that's a couple of reasons why I feel like Utah's kind of hit their ceiling. 
if they can exceed my expectations, I really want to see that, but it's not looking good. And I'm glad you brought up their draft because there was something very specific that I'm kind of glad you ended up touching on was the drafting of Yudoka Azubuki out of Kansas. And that touched that that really stood out to me because he hasn't played a lot of minutes for Utah this year. And I think that is indicative of why he didn't play very much in this series. But I'll give you two guys who got drafted after him that I think actually would have fit this team and actually probably would have stepped up in a better way in a series like this. Brooks brought up the Grizzlies series. Ian brought up the Grizzlies series. Desmond Bain, a good perimeter defender to y'all. I mean, only made, you know, he was only made one of the two all rookie teams. Was a very prominent, played a very prominent role as a defensive stopper and three point shooter for a Memphis Grizzly team that definitely played above their belt. Let's talk about another Memphis Grizzly, a well, who was presumed undersized big man out of uh, out of uh, Michigan State in Xavier Tillman, who played big minutes. If y'all remember, played very important stretches in that play in game against Golden State. Made some very big time stops. Very nice passer, a guy who does have a little bit of an offensive game down low. Two guys that were missed on the dra- in the draft that easily. Easily could have not only spelled it for Rudy Gobert, a guy who, again, got played off the floor, but in a way could have actually been a net positive to them in the defensive categories, regardless of the fact that on paper, Rudy Gobert is a better defender. Ian, let's go this route, bro. What do you think Utah can do to get better? I mean, roster-wise, they're pretty locked in. So you have to either point at some very finessey stuff they can do in terms of the draft. They are working with the draft capital of the fact that they have the 30th overall pick and what is debatable in terms of being a deep draft. They do have players that could possibly be moved, Bogdanovich being one of them, Jordan Clarkson coming off of a a very career level year, career high level year with the six man of the year award under his belt. Should this team just run it back with a healthy Mike Conley and a healthy D Mitch and they should be there? They should just be cool. Or is there a move in mind that you think they should maybe explore? Uh, I don't, I think they're fine. Um, I think, I think you need to look to some guy. Actually, no, I don't think they're fine. I think you need to, make some adjustments, one, rotation-wise, and two, you need to, like you said, you need to get more of a defensive presence on the perimeter. Um, you could do that in the draft, but I really don't know how much draft capital they actually have to utilize. Um, I will harp on Azubuki for a little bit. Not harp, I'll just downgrade him. Um, I, I thought he was a great college player. I didn't think he was going to be good at the pro level anyway. Agreed. Exactly. Not great, not the best hands, not the greatest footwork. He was just a man amongst boys. That's why he always had double doubles at Kansas. There was some ticky tack things you could point to for Azubuki. I really didn't understand the pick either. Anyway, back to it. Um, I love Quinn Snyder, but some of his rotations make absolutely no sense. Um, why is Mie Oni taking minutes away from Jordan Clarkson? And why is George Niang, of all people, playing a little bit more minutes than utilized. If anything, I feel like George Yang is playing far too much. Like, I like what he does for that squad, but there are times where, like, okay, 
you can literally see Quinn Snyder yelling at him on, on the bench because he's, he, <laughs> either he will do something stupid or, you know, he's not in the right spot defensively. Like, like again, Jalen said, defensively they need help. So what I think they can do is you can either use the draft capital you have or the draft pick that they have, whatever it is, I haven't looked it up, and get a defensive specialist to help you on the perimeter or mix up those rotations because you need the scores in who can also not only help the Rudy somewhat defensively, but then let's say if they do get like some sort of defensive specialist, you take the minutes away from Niang and Oni. I like them as players, but they should not be playing this much and have them guard the guys like, like a PG, like a Kawhi or even, even like, like, like a Steph in the regular season. You know what I mean? Cause again, defensively, the reason why, you know, they, they were winning all these games is because they can score dramatically. Like and, and that's a good and that's a positive for them. I like that, but it's not the same on both ends. That's why you see the Bucks where they are. That's why you see even the Hawks right now. That's why they are where they are. The, the ability to hunker down and play defense and come back while still scoring. The Jazz sometimes will show flashes of that in the regular season, but in the playoffs, we clearly saw in that last series they didn't do that. So that's that's I, I'd say that's my answer. Try and find a defensive specialist while working on those rotations. Especially I'm, again. I like Mieoni and I like George Niang, but it, no, no, they're not ready for that big, big moment yet, in my opinion. Brooks, did Utah just blow their best chance at a chip? Uh, I'm mean, gonna have to say, yeah, man. Again, where do you go from here? They're the top ten, they're the top team in the West. Uh, they had who should they should have he should have been an MVP candidate and he should have been an All NBA guy in Donovan Mitchell. He had the depoy. Uh, I mean, where, how do you, how do you go from here? How do you improve? How do you get better? If you're gonna, if you're gonna trade somebody, you gotta get creative. And you have to get a third team in there. We keep, I keep on hearing this blasphemy about getting rid of Bradley Bill and sending him to the Los Angeles Lakers. To the Los Angeles Lakers. To the Los Angeles Lakers who offer nothing. If you wanna, if you wanna get a, a guy that can be a defensive presence in the perimeter and help out Rudy Gobert in the paint, Maybe you maybe you involve the Jet, maybe you involve the Lakers maybe you involve some other some other team help out uh, the Wizards get rid of Bradley Bill if they would choose to get rid of him or even Zach Levine I'd rather see Zach Levine in a Los Angeles Lakers uniform than Bradley Bill and that's just me being a homer regardless that's I mean that would help out a a, a, a conference rival but regardless like you you get a third team involved. You, maybe even a fourth team, get some draft capital, you get creative, you get a you get a defensive perimeter guy to help you out. Jalen, you mentioned Desmond Bain. Um if the Lakers could get of Alex Caruso, you could get they could get, get get rid of the bald mamba, send him to LA or to Utah. You could be that defensive guy for them in the pinch. Um, you know, that's like my first thought. I don't know who else, but yeah, you gotta get creative and you gotta make some changes and make sure that Rudy Gobert isn't the end all be all of your defense. Because they're a great team offensively. We know what they can do. But defensively, they got a big step to make. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the points that you made early on about the circumstances of this year is what really stands out to me the most. You got a MVP caliber can, uh, player in Donovan Mitchell. Defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert. Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson were both up for six man of the year. Clarkson obviously won it. But those two were like at the top. Easily tip for tat all year in terms of that discussion. You talk about Quinn Snyder as well in the coaching debate. He was the guy who was third 
in votes for a coach of the year behind Tom Thibodeau, who eventually won it, and Monty Williams, who I believe should have won it. Um, so I honestly don't think it gets any better. Like, I don't think, I mean, you even look at the landscape of what's left. Everybody's already throwing Atlanta to the wayside. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Milwaukee is probably the healthiest team left, but did you see anything against a KD only Brooklyn Nets team that made you really feel like they're going to surmount themselves as the champions? Probably not. And then Phoenix, as dominant as they look at the end of the day, yes, they're getting Chris Paul back for game three. That was something that Brooks had mentioned a little bit earlier. But at the end of, at the, end of the day, his time may be due. We never know. Obviously, we all know that you never know with Chris Paul. And I'm not saying that they can't win without him, but I think he's a needle mover for them when we're talking about winning a championship. So the landscape was wide open to be able to make the play. Got a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles. Mm-hmm. Who's more valuable? Who, who gets you the more? Who gets you more uh, capital or more results? Or not results, but helps you out, helps your team out if you move them. As I a think, trade chip, you're saying? As a trade chip, as a trade chip, at least. Probably Jay. Probably uh, probably Jordan Clarkson, younger, just coming off of just coming off of the Six Man of the Year award. And then on top of that, I think his his burst as an offensive player is probably like what really probably will stand out to people. You know, you know, counting stats, you get sixteen points per sixteen to eighteen points per game. They're like, oh man, yeah, we could throw that in our backcourt and he'll eat if we start him. And that's just not the reality of things. But you know, when you try to make contracts and stuff, I'll add up. That's something that'll probably stand out. I think the other thing too is uh, if I look at the cap sheet, um, he he's like slightly easier to trade. 12 mil, uh, 12 mils owed to him next year as opposed to Joe Ingles who's owed 13 mils. So not really that much, but, um, I would say Joe Ingles is a more impactful player. Yeah. That's me. I think I he's think a better, he's more probably a locker room presence too. Yeah. I think he's a more impactful player. I think he plays on both sides of the floor. He's able to facilitate. He low key can play the one through three for you and hold his own pretty well. I just think that the the biggest thing for him is just the fact that like he doesn't do anything so well that it stands out. Versus you watch Jay uh, Jay Clark, he he's gonna go get you eighteen plus. That's the type, that's the type of loss though that you'll feel like immediately mm-hmm. if you get rid of him. Like the Mavs, they they let Steph, Seth uh, Curry walk away. They felt that immediately. I feel like mm-hmm. that's the same type of impact that losing Joe Ingles could have. I think that's a perfect point. And I think talking about the idea of somebody's trade value, right, segues us into uh, probably the darker part of this pod in terms of uh, talking about frauds. And, man, Ben Simmons, bro. It's been a tough 24, 48 hours for the homie. And, um... There was a lot of stuff said on the live stream that I really want to get into today. So, Ryan, we're going to start with this, bro. Let's start with the basic question first. Tuffy, but, like, let's just start small and work our way up. Because I think Ben's going to be the guy we spend a lot more time on. How do you feel about Ben Simmons as a member of the Philadelphia 76ers? His tenure already and his tenure moving forward. So, here's the thing. I 
kind of flirted with the idea of him being a bust, considering that the standards for number one overall picks are very high. I don't think he's a bust mainly because of the last season that he had. I mean, he he improved tremendously on the defensive side. Runner-up for the defensive player of the year, second team all defense. I do think that's impressive. I don't think he's a bust as a player, but I told you this off camera, Jalen. I think his stint in Philadelphia was a bust. There was so much more he could have done, and I think the potential of him being the second option as part of this duo with Joel Embiid, it never really came to fruition considering that Joel Embiid held up his end of the bargain as part of being a great player, and Ben Simmons, especially in this series, really struggled. If we're looking at how bad he was in this series... Jalen, he was shooting 34% from the free throw line, which is worse than Shaquille O'Neal. And Shaquille O'Neal's a terrible career free throw shooter from the line. He was shooting worse than him. And not to mention that in the fourth quarter, he wasn't willing to take over. There was no sense of urgency of him being a star player, him wanting to be a star player. And that's the thing that frustrates me the most about him is that I want him to succeed. There's a reason why he's in the NBA. If he didn't, if he couldn't play basketball, he wouldn't be in the NBA. But as a number one pick, you're held to this standard because of other previous number one overall picks. Like, for example, Allen Iverson, LeBron James, like even more recent number one overall picks, like DeAndre Ayton, who have flourished out to be a great player. He hasn't shown me that he has that potential to really be a number one overall pick, to be like a number one option. So, okay, if I'm Philadelphia, what do I do after this series? The entire city kind of wants him out, right? Like I said, like, I don't know what you do. Where does Ben Simmons go from here? And that's the, that's the question that I posed on the live stream. Where do the Sixers go from here with Ben Simmons? Because I understand, like, people can slander him all they want, but it doesn't make up for the fact that he was a number one overall pick and had a pretty good season this year if we're looking at it from start to finish obviously offensively there are things he needs to work on with this game but defensively he improved and he could be a defensive stopper so it's tough Jalen it really is so Ian I want to flip to something real quick I'm gonna read some stats to you real fast we're just gonna talk about it and kind of put everything in perspective we're gonna start from 2018 right in 2018 in the first series he his free throw percentage was 71.4 in the second series in 2018, before they were eliminated um, by the by your Boston Celtics, he shot 69.6%. In 2019, in the first series, 58.3%. In the second series, before being eliminated, this was in the series against Toronto, the one that obviously eventually led to them becoming the eventual champions, 56.3%. This year... In the two series that he's played in. 35.7% in the first series against the Washington Wizards. 33.3% in the series we just watched against Atlanta. Anybody, any listeners at home realize that I'm counting downwards significantly on a series-to-series basis. And I saw something pretty interesting in the reports the other day that said that Ben Simmons is bypassing playing for the Australian national team for player development purposes. Um, I saw something else that said 
he suggested he the he suggested the idea of switching his dominant shooting hand. Are you done with Ben Simmons? Are you just done? Are you done with Ben Simmons, or do you think that with an off season of development, with the circumstances that he's decided to apply over the last twenty four to forty eight forty eight hours, in terms of his idea of being able to get himself better, are you done with Ben Simmons? Not in Philly. We'll talk about trade stuff and stuff like that a little bit later on, but. As a player, are we done with Ben Simmons? First of all, I would like to say this. Um, Ben Simmons was compared to be the next LeBron. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was, Philly fans swore on the Bible that he was better than Jason Tatum. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, They've been saying trust the process for ten years. What is the process at this point? Like, like, what, what is it? Like, is it just a process of pain? Like, is this, is that the process we're talking about? Because it's not a process to the files. It's just a process of pain at this point. And then on top of that, I don't know if you remember, but two years ago, people were really debating if you do you keep Ben Simmons or or Joel Embiid. There, that was really a conversation we had. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I've been, I've been done with Ben Simmons for a minute, Rob. I've been I've been done with Ben Simmons ever since they was they've been talking about. I mean, obviously I gotta you know uh, protect my guy JT Jason Tatum, but I've been done since that. Um, I mean, if he shoot, switches his dominant shooting hand, I mean, are we really promised to see anything different? Really, I think it's a more psychological thing than anything, honestly, because I feel like a lot of this pressure is getting to him. If you haven't seen first take, we saw what Stephen A. Smith said. He's been babied. He's this. He's that. I forgot the whole quote, but you got to go see that. That might be another factor. I said it on the live stream, and I'm going to say it again, except I'm going to make it more PG. This man needs to, he needs, I think a change of scenery, I think a change of scenery would help him. Um, but he needs to be traded. Uh, he needs to be traded for a half, <laughs> a half bottle of Axe body spray and a pair of Crease Jordans. He needs to be traded for maybe even a 2004 Toyota Camry, a pack of gum, and maybe a leaky Gatorade water bottle. He needs to get, he needs to get traded for some fake gold chains. I'm t- like it's a problem. I don't care. I don't care what what capital you can get with Ben Simmons. I'm telling you, bare minimum. Because at what I'm seeing right now, especially as the number one overall pick, you should be doing better than this. There is no reason on the face of the earth, like you just said, that you decline that steadily. Now it brings up the conversation of rookie of the year <laughs> when when he won. Now it brings up the definite conversation: should he have even won the award? Because we see what Donovan Mitchell's been doing ever since that he's been upgrading, increasing his stats. Granted, Benson has made an all-star game, whatever. That that is honestly irrelevant at this point. Because ever since then, his stats have been going down. Quote unquote rookie. Okay, bro, man, you still playing like one. Stop playing with me. I'm done with Ben Simmons. Okay. So hold on, I'm gonna bring it back to you before I swing it to Brooks real quick. Because I, I wanna ask I wanna ask this in terms of being done with Ben Simmons, right? Three years in, two-time all-defensive player, coming off a year where he averaged, let's just round up, 12, 9, and 8, with just under a steal and a half a game. Three years in, there's no belief that this is a guy that can get better. 
I'll say this. I think there is a window for him to get better, but I don't think it's to a point where we're seeing superstar level that people were talking about. I will say, I will say this, even though I've been very negative on him, obviously, if you haven't heard the rest of the first part of me just going on him. Um, I will say the positive is he is a very good defender. I will say that for sure. Um, there's a reason why he's made those defensive teams and has been up for a deep or, or was a finalist for deep. I will say that. Um, but the, I mean, the man still can't shoot. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I really don't know what else to say. There are a lot of guys who are great defenders but can't shoot. I mean, what are we really doing here? I mean, Patrick Beverly's a, a, a solid defender, but he can, I mean, somehow he's been hitting threes. I don't know how in this series. I don't know, but I mean, great defender, but he's not really known as a shooter. You know what I mean? Like, wh- what's the basis here? You know, like, I like him as a defender, but if you came in the league as, oh, as a playmaker, which is mind boggling, because if you've seen his tape at Montverde and, <laughs> and LSU, he is clipping it from mid range from three. I don't, somebody got to be fired in Philly. How are you going to mess up Markel Fall's shot and Ben Simmons' shot? That just doesn't make sense at all. I don't get it. I don't get it. But, um, to my point, I think there's room for improving. He's still young, but, that that window isn't like, or that ceiling isn't as high as you know the sky. I think is as high as like my ceiling right now. So yeah, this is what I meant when I said at the beginning of the pod that this is why I wanted to have this set of people on here is because Ryan, we talked about this before the podcast started. Where I'm about to segue picks up where Ian left off. Brooks, I'm gonna swing it to you with this. Our DMV brethren, the homie Markel Fultz. He was that dude at Washington, bro. He was that guy. He was that dude. Coming out of of high school, he was that guy, bro. Bonafide number one overall pick. He was a guy that the debate between him and JT was absurd. But at the end of the day, Markel Fultz was that guy over Lonzo Ball and Jason Tatum. We saw what took place in Philly. They started talking about Psyche, whether he could actually play, how long he'd last in the league. Goes to Orlando. Outside of getting injured, you see the jumpers back. The burst is a little bit better. And he's productive for a young rebuilding Orlando Magic team. Ben Simmons. Three years into his career. Similar trajectory. Here we go with that. Ian just mentioned it. I've been posting it for the last three to five days. The Montverde tape. L.A. Summer League. Shooting the, the the crap out of the ball. Clipping it. Gets with Philly on the main roster. And three years in, we're worried about this man's basketball psyche. Do you think if Ben Simmons is moved, that Ian will be wrong? And that Ben Simmons will be the guy everybody thought he will be. Do I think? Listen, listen, listen. This needs to be said first. First and foremost, 
Ben Simmons was not the rookie of the year, the year he won. It should have gone to Donovan Mitchell. It should have gone to Donovan Mitchell. And everybody knows that. We all know that. That's, that, that, that's, that doesn't even need to be said. I, I just wanted to say that. To be, to be quite honest. Listen, man. And even his second year in the league, his rookie year with Markel Fultz, we have people talking about, oh yeah, Markel Fultz, he's, he's not even going to be that big of a, he's going to be a big factor, but he's, you know, I don't think he's going to be better than, than Ben Simmons. Right now, I would absolutely take ben, Markel Fultz over Ben Simmons because I know that Markel Fultz has some dog in him, and I know he's going to be aggressive down the stretch, and I know he's going to be willing to make big plays. Look what he did in his short career in Philly. Man had a man has the youngest player to get it, or was the youngest player to get triple double. We saw what he was doing defensive plays, game making game winning defensive plays in Orlando and in Philly. We know the man has the mental makeup to do these things. Ben Simmons does not have that mental makeup. He has he does not have that testicular fortitude to get to deliver you a win. He he he, he just doesn't. He just doesn't. Regardless of if he leaves Philly or not. The guy just doesn't have it up here, and he doesn't have it down there to get to to deliver and win. I don't, I wouldn't want him to to take that last shot. You know what I mean? I I see what LeBron James does. If LeBron James is gonna do, is gonna make the quote unquote right play every time, but at least he's willing to take a shot. And the dude was a he he started he came out in the he came into the league as a terrible shooter. Look what he's done now. The man has a bona fide signature step back, the ugliest step back jumper that you will ever see. And a premier superstar in the league, but the man is willing to take these shots. Ben Simmons is not willing to take these shots. He is a great defender. He makes great defensive plays. Him and Matisse Thybul are probably two of the are two of the best defensive playmakers in the league, bar none. But when the, the guy is scared, he's scary. It's frustrating to watch him. I want him to do well. Don't get me wrong, but he's just not him. He's, he's, he's just not it. It's, 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 it's time that we see that because who was it? Russell Westbrook said Pat Bev tricked y'all, bro. Ben Simmons tricked y'all, man. Ben Ben Simmons tricked y'all. We have LeBron James saying, "Oh yeah, Ben Simmons got next." LeBron James has been wrong. Ben Simmons does not have next. Ben Simmons is never gonna have next because he just doesn't have it up here, and he's 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 scared, man. There's he needs a sports psychologist. I remember I was saying that about Markel Fultz. No, Ben Simmons needs a sports psychologist because there's no reason why you're the number one overall pick. You're lauded as this 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 uh, franchise savior going to help complete the process. And you only do that on one end of the floor. And you can do that in transition. Why, 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 can, why don't you have a complete game yet, bro? You've been in the league for... You've been in within the franchise for four seasons. You've only played three. There's no reason why when you had that broken foot you don't fix that jumper, change the right hand or not. No, this is it's not going to change. It's not going to help him. And I and I'll be glad to be wrong. But right now I'm tired of seeing this slander. I'm tired. I'm I, I'm not tired of it. I'm happy to see it because it's about time that we had this real conversation about Ben Simmons, man. Atlanta Hawks. I'll give them all the credit in the world. They outplayed the 76ers five, six, and seven. But this was. A 76ers team that should have gone to the finals. They should have been a finals threat. And they keep on falling short. And it's because of one guy, Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid does everything he's supposed to do. It's Ben Simmons. He's, he's got to go. He's got to go. And, and that's that's it.
So, Ryan, let's swing it back, right? Because we know we can't leave the Ben Simmons talk without actually talking about trades, right? So, despite everything that Brooks said, at the end of the day, this is a guy who is being heavily discussed as being on the trade block. Whether people believe that he can be fixed in a different situation or not is up for debate. Most recently, I would say outside of his own performance, another thing that has probably hurt his trade stock is the recent comments of his coach. I'm just going to read it in case anybody hasn't read it, but you probably heard it a million times. Head coach Doc Rivers went first in his press conference saying uh, after being asked if Ben Simmons can be the point guard of a championship team, his response was, I don't know that question. I don't know that question or the answer to that right now. I don't know the answer to that. So with that being the case. His own coach, the guy who sees him in the building every day, does not know whether or not this is a guy who can have the uh, who can play up to the caliber of being a championship winning point guard. Um, He is owed a hefty bankroll. I'll probably get the number for you guys a little bit in a little bit. Um, Moving forward, as he's got a big contract that's starting to kick in. With that extension that he signed very recently. What is one team that you would like to see Ben Simmons traded to with the belief that he could actually improve as a player? First of all, I do not want to let Philly off the hook. Because I thought with the Markel Fultz trade, the, the not the Markel Fultz trade, the situation with Markel Fultz, I thought maybe it was Markel's fault that he wasn't improving. I look at this Ben Simmons stuff that's happening, and I really have to put my finger at the organization because this is the second number one overall pick that has been having issues in Philly and may or may not thrive on another team. At some point, the finger has to be pointed at Philly. Where he gets traded, I'm thinking of great developmental teams Obviously, Boston comes to mind, but I don't think Boston would make that trade. With that being said, Minnesota, D'Angelo Russell, and maybe a pick for Ben Simmons. Okay. Ian, I want you to respond to Ryan's trade scenario. Not only the trade scenario itself, but then respond with a trade scenario of your own, preferably not the team named. How do you feel about an idea of a Ben Simmons to Minnesota trade as well as a team that you would like to see Ben Simmons on in terms of him possibly improving? Um, I will be the first and hopefully last to say this. I don't want to hear Ben Simmons and Boston in the same sentence ever again, (laughs) ever again, ever again. Like it was it's a good day. It's still a good day. No. Anyway, um, I, I like that. Um, going to Minnesota, I mean, you, you don't win. I think it's kind of relatively known that you just can't win a title or even, you know, yeah, you can't win a title with your big man as the main focus. It's, it's, I, I, obviously, Cat is still a great player, but by himself, as one option is not going to get you to a final. Simple as that. Um, putting Ben Simmons in there, I think, really could help. So I kind of like that trade scenario, especially with a score like Russ. Or D'Angelo Russell, uh, deloading. He's been loading for a minute anyway. <laughs> um, but 
But I, I very I like it. They're a young team. Anthony Edwards, you know, granted, um, personally, I already knew Melo was going to win, or LaMelo was going to win Rookie of the Year. But, again, he led all rookies in scoring. Anthony Edwards is only going to get better. Adding Ben Simmons to that team, honestly, I think would help, especially as a, a team that kind of needs a little bit more playmaking. I mean, I already like Rubio, but I think a little bit more on a level where he can be a threat in the in the paint. So I like that. Um, mine is, is rather interesting, and I only say it's interesting because their cap space could be um, – I want to see what, what they would use as capital to try and get him. Some people might not like this, but some people would. Um, I think Chicago is a very interesting destination for Ben Simmons. I do. I really do. And I know Bulls fans don't like that. It's okay, but think about it this way. Um, I, I think the Bulls can benefit from a solid playmaker. Like a very just solid playmaker. Don't let him shoot. Don't do this. I need a very solid playmaker. Cause Zach Levine, we know he's a shot creator, but who's really playmaking for him? Nikola Vucevic, we know is a, I mean, again, top of the key score, triple double machine from time to time, double double machine. Um, we need, again, the reason why he didn't work that well with the Magic, we need a, a very top of the line playmaker to make sure he gets his shots, gets to a spot. Simple as that. Ben Simmons has been able to do that when he had those flashes with Philly, getting the ball to certain shooters, getting the ball to Embiid, all that. Granted, I know it doesn't, I know Bulls fans don't like it based on how he's been playing recently, but he could help. His, his focus wouldn't be shooting. In Philly, he was the, I mean, well, he was supposed to be the second option, but he wasn't the second option. Granted, over the years became obviously Tobias Harris, and then it became Seth Curry once he got there. Really, when you really think about it. So I'm not going to say he's like an option for scoring for the Bulls. I'm saying, that he can be the guy to get people open just based on his presence as a 6'10", 6'11", point guard. Um, the, I say it's interesting because I don't know who the Bulls will be willing to move. I mean, I already had trade packages earlier. I mean, hey, just if you go to the 7-Eleven, get yourself a pack of gum, you solid. Simple as that. But, you know what I mean? But I think the Bulls could benefit from a playmaker like Ben Simmons. So I'm going to break down both of you guys' trades and then get down to Brooks. Uh, when it comes to Ryan, I think with your trade, Ryan, I think the most significant, significant thing about this, I mentioned to you, mentioned this to you off camera was the idea that a trade to Minnesota does sound relatively effective out of the fact that unlike Joel Embiid, who's most effective out in the paint and decides to float outside to the perimeter in the three point line, Cat Williams, uh, Cat Williams, uh, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, <laughs> Is a guy, they have been a joke lately, so I wouldn't be too surprised if they had him in the building, but that's for another day. Carl Anthony Towns is a guy who I wouldn't be mad at him if he took 12 threes a game from the perimeter with the fact that he's at least a, a above average shooter, um, at least at the big man spot. So I think putting a guy like Ben Simmons next to him is a position where you're not worried about two guys competing for space. Um, and I think that's something that's very helpful in his case. I think the biggest question will just be like, is D-Lo plus this and that enough? Um, I think that also kind of leaves a big hole at point guard. Yes, I think you maybe could ask Anthony Edwards to do a little bit more. Um, but at the same time, he's not really a guy who's going to help create for others either. So now you're making Ben Simmons play that point forward role and, is he in a better position with Minnesota to maybe actually thrive in that in that spot? Maybe, but I think that's debatable. Ian, I'm going to try to leave as much bias as I possibly can out of this discussion about the Bulls. I think the biggest thing with the Bulls is if they're trading with the Bulls, they want Zach. They're not getting Zach. I think that's... I think that's a very easy claim to make. I think despite the way that he played... 
Ben Simmons is still the caliber of player that's going to demand a guy like Zach to be a part of the trade. Um, even if it's dang near straight up. I think the other thing about it too is just the mere fact that if we have to give up Zach, I don't think the team around Ben fits Ben. And maybe if we had a draft pick or at least, you know, an early lottery pick like we were supposed to, Magic stole it away from us because of a trade that we made for Vucevic. But maybe we had something like that to maybe start piling things together to build something around Ben. Different response. If you have to give up Zach, if it's Ben with Zach, right? We got something brewing. Ben with Vooch. I don't see that doing anything for us. I think it's a similar circumstance, maybe to like when it's like, you know, like Ben plus Carl Anthony Towns. But Carl Anthony Towns is probably the more supreme player. And I think that Carl Anthony Towns can do a bit more with the ball in a, th- in a way that can free up Ben in ways I don't think Vucevic can. So I think that's the big thing with that. Um, Brooks, is there any other trade that comes to mind? I have one in mind, but I obviously want to hear all the uh, hear all three of you guys is first before I give you guys mine. Is there any trade that comes to mind in terms of Ben Simmons that you would like to see with the chance Shanghai of Sharks. maybe him? Shanghai Sharks. That's, that's oh, crazy. man. That's Shanghai tough. Sharks. Listen, bro. He goes to Minnesota. You play, with a, you play with a baby soft. Baby soft as shit. Cat. And the, and the tomfoolery. <laughs> D'Angelo Russell. This is not going to work, bro. The only alpha male you have on that roster is Anthony Edwards. <laughs> Anthony Edwards, he's not ready to take over that role, bro. It's, he's not He's not that guy yet. And I'm I'm, I'm sure he will one day. But no, nah, it's, it's not Minnesota. It's, it's sure as hell isn't, isn't Boston. Like, no, Shanghai. You might as well just go to Shanghai, bro. Go to, go to uh, the Melbourne 66 or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I really don't see. The, I really don't care to see the guy anymore. Um, I mean, I, I I wouldn't want to send him to basketball purgatory in Sacramento. Um, someone said Washington for Russell Westbrook. That's got to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would <laughs> you get rid of? Too. Why oh, would you God. get rid of a non-shooting guard forward? And like, why would you get rid of your 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 lacking lacking of a jump shot point guard in Russell Westbrook? For a guy who doesn't even have the mental makeup to do the same things as Russell Westbrook is even capable of doing, no. So I don't know. You, I would, I would rather see him play in Spain, go to Australia, go to China, because it's just not, th- it's not that time anymore, bro. So for anybody that's an audio listener, we've completely sent Ian out of the room. He's back now, but he had to take a little bit of a hiatus. Um, Ian, before I give my trade, bro, would you like to respond, or is this one of those that you would like to kind of just leave in his shell? I, you know, look, look, man. Um, <laughs> look, I, I, I'm all for violating Ben Ben Simmons, you know, and slander and all that. But at, at one point, you know, the, the relax, <laughs> relax. There is no way. Look, I said it on the live stream as a joke that Ben Simmons was first team all China, but that this is a joke. It's a joke. Um, this this man came out just all smoke with it. Just just wow. Just, just <laughs> said China. he said China. He said Spain. This might as well just say Rwanda and play with J Cole at this point, Brooks. Like I mean, like, he probably be he probably be the goat in the BAL. 
Because <laughs> them boys can't probably shoot over there either. So yeah, no, but it's a, it's a brick fest over there. So. I'm 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 good. I'm good. It was just it was just you know I didn't really think that it would have been said. I thought just let NBA Twitter have it. But no, we here. We're here. I guess we're here. If I'm gonna be, I can't be toxic towards the Nets, but I will be toxic towards Ben Simmons and the 76ers. Ryan, uh. <laughs> Is uh Ben Simmons the next Jimmer for debt, bro, or can we keep him in the league? So there is the possibility that he goes overseas and does extremely well. We've seen players go overseas and have phenomenal careers like Stefan Marbury, Jimmer Fredette, Lamelo Ball, even before he went to the NBA. I just think that's that's unrealistic. I think he goes to an NBA team. It is unrealistic. No, yeah, he absolutely we can't. Is. We we can't trade him. We can't trade him to Shanghai, and he signed for five more years with Big Bank. He's not going to leave that on the table. It doesn't matter what it is. So, I mean, unfortunately, that's not on the trade ship. I don't know how many guys in Shanghai besides my boy Jeremy Lin, who's going back that way, is somebody I would be too worried about making a trade for anyway. But uh, that's a separate, like like Ian said, NBA Twitter can have added on that one. I'm going to throw out the trade that I feel like makes the most sense in terms of if we're talking about him developing. Um, I preface this comment by saying I am not comparing these two people. Because, Lord, the aggregation is ridiculous. The shot doctor in San Antonio made Kawhi Leonard a sniper. He's still there. San Antonio has one of the crouchiest backcourts I've ever seen in my life. DeJounte Murray laughed it off when there was a tweet that went out that said that nobody would be untouchable in a trade to acquire Ben Simmons, potentially, knowing Greg Popovich, uh, I guess the source said. But, nonetheless, backcourt is crouchy. Crazy crouchy. They got a handful of guys that they can probably move on. They're one of the few teams that's actually pretty good at holding on to their picks because they don't really make splash moves. And this is a team that does have to try to focus on the idea of hitting a positive reset button post-Tim Duncan era. And so far, outside of picking up DeMar DeRozan and broke back LA. They haven't really done very much. And they're not really the type of team to make many moves in free agency. So I think this is a situation where Ben Simmons in an environment, even if it's under a year under Greg Popovich, in an environment where we've literally seen their their shot their shooting coach change a guy in Kawhi Leonard who was just a defensive stopper really with no real offensive game coming out of San Diego State, turn into arguably one of the best mid range shooters in the NBA, which is basically all we're asking Ben Simmons to do. Because this whole what's Ben Simmons getting a three pointer, he's gonna break the league thing. We need to cut that out. Man, we need, the man we has to get ben, a fourteen footer first. We owe Brett Brown and Brett Brown an, an apology, man. We owe Brett Brown an apology. I can't argue with that either. I still I feel like there's a certain extent where I feel like you still have to point the finger at him because of there there's certain schematic things that I would say leans more into that. That's more of like a break breakdown by, you know, series kind of thing in terms of like pointing out some of the flaws. 
But nonetheless, I will give you that there is a certain part of it where you say, hey, man, look, sometimes your players just didn't come through for you and they ain't help you out when you was, you know, basically coaching for your job. But nonetheless, basically what I'm saying is I think that Ben Simmons in a San Antonio uh, situation would probably be his best chance. And I'm, I know that sounds like a cop out. To say, oh, send him to one of the best organizations in the NBA, not just structurally, but in terms of developing talent, so to speak. But it's the only one that's viable in terms of what they have to give and also what would possibly benefit both squads without it looking lopsided. So I'm pretty much going to round Robin real quick before we move on to the current NBA playoff stuff that's moving forward ahead. And basically get all you guys' thoughts on Ben Simmons to San, San Antonio, starting with Ryan. Not a bad trade idea because I think when you're talking about, like I said, one of the top developmental organizations in the league, we look at Boston, but we also look at San Antonio. So I do think that there's a chance that he goes to San Antonio. It's just who do you get rid of? Ian, San Antonio or Toronto? Because Toronto's another one I've heard a lot of. Um, I'd say San Antonio. I, I I like the pick. It's just it, I I think it's less of who you give up and more of uh, you have to monitor what Demar Derozan wants to do in free agency. Simple as that. Um, he's an unrestricted free agent. Does he come back? Does he not? And if he does come back, are you willing to leave? I mean, like, what are you again? That that's when it comes to the point in what are you willing to give up? So, um, I, I'd say Spurs more over than Toronto just for me. So. Yeah. Also, I'm never apologizing for Brett Brown ever in my life. That man did not decide to play Christian Wood, of all people, for some reason. Any, whatever. All right. <laughs> Brooks, we're going to finish it out with this. Similar to what I asked, Ian, I have a separate team in mind. San Antonio or the Dubs? Because I've seen a lot of stuff in terms of some Andrew Wiggins exchanges as well as maybe a potential, they have two picks in the lottery, along with a guy in James Wiseman who is relatively developmental. So, with that being the case, like I said, San Antonio or the Dubs? Um, honestly, seeing Ben Simmons on the Dubs would be a lot of fun to watch. Because I feel like he could bring the same value that a Draymond. If you wanted, if the San Antonio, I mean San Antonio, if Golden State Warriors decided, hey, we've had enough of Draymond Green, and we're going to bring in someone that can possibly play, you, you could play the same role and bring maybe even some more value. Then Ben Simmons could be that guy because again, he is a he is the type of small ball playmaker that Draymond Green is, but just like at a higher level, and he plays defense just as well. Mm-hmm. So you could that that could work. But you're going to another high-pressure environment. And again, Ben Simmons and pressure, they're not good together. You go to San Antonio, don't have as much media attention on you. You have a you have a great coach in, in Popovich. You have a great development coach that, that that helps people learn how to shoot. Tony Parker, um, Kawhi Leonard, like you mentioned. I think, it, I think it would be better for him long-term to go to San Antonio. Um, yeah, I think... I think I think that'd be better for him in the long in the long term. 
So the way I see it, honestly, is just to kind of close this out before we move on to the current series stuff is for me, I think Ben Simmons development is benefited best by going to San Antonio. In terms of schematically, I think Ben Simmons to the Dubs works the best. I'm actually going to quote the Clutch Points article that I found this on. So just bear with me. You guys can go find the link yourselves. But the first two paragraphs of this scenario talking about a trade for Ben Simmons says Simmons cannot shoot. But guess what? Curry and company can. There's no better solution for a struggling shooter than to pair him up with the greatest shooter of all time. As mentioned above, Simmons is also an elite defender. And to pair his skills alongside Green would make the Warriors an even better defensive team. Goes on to say, imagine this scenario. Simmons plays point while Curry works off ball to get his shots up. Aside from Curry, Thompson and role players, whoever the Warriors decide to keep, because there's questions about Kelly Oubre, so on and so forth, about James Wiseman's availability via trade, things like that, can help space the floor. The offense won't depend on Simmons shooting so much, but at least he has teammates around him who can back him up. So schematically, I think that him potentially going to the dubs actually isn't even the craziest trade scenario I've seen. So I think that's worth keeping things in mind. Nonetheless, I digress because we need to get into current NBA playoff action. We have had enough slander on the pod for now, unless we end up talking about PG-13 because uh, the other day was rough. But um, let's get into Suns Clippers, man. We've seen two games so far, two games uh, handled by the Suns uh, up 2-0 as Brooks broke for us earlier on the pod. Chris Paul will be coming back for game three. The Clippers are used to coming back from 0-2. We've seen it twice. But I don't think they're used to coming back from 0-2 with a wild card like Chris Paul also coming back in the third game. So, Ryan, what are your thoughts through two games knowing that the Suns are in clear command? They won close. They won handily. And now they're getting Chris Paul back headed to LA how do we feel about the Chris Paul potential revenge tour and this series in general so I am very surprised how close the Clippers have kept it in this series the first game they only lost by six points the last game that happened yesterday they lost on a a very interesting alley-oop to from an alley-oop pass from Jay Crowder to DeAndre Ayton, which was a good basket. And that was a very smart play drawn up by Monty Williams, so I will give Monty Williams that credit. Shout out to PG County. But the other thing that I'm thinking about, too, with the past couple series and the Clippers being up to, or sorry, being down 2-0 in those series and coming back, I don't think it's going to be the same. I don't think that the Clippers are going to be able to come back from down 2-0, considering that they lost to the Suns twice, and both those losses were without Chris Paul. If we think about how effective Chris Paul has been in the playoffs, especially in the Denver series, Chris Paul had maybe two of his best playoff games in his career in that series alone. And now you get a healthy Chris Paul back, keep in mind, with a series lead. I'm expecting Chris Paul to have a pretty good Game 3, but an even better Game 4. So there's a chance that the Suns could sweep the Clippers, but I highly doubt it. Ian, two big missed free throws by PG. Is Pandemic P back back 
or are we jumping the gun two games deep into yet another series where the Clippers are down? Um, I think jumping the gun. I only say this because, I mean, I know it was, you know, two free throws were one of the key proponents of why they lost that game. There there were a lot going on with there was a lot going on with that game. I mean, you could point to that, but there are things throughout the game that you can point to as well. Um, I'm gu- I'm guilty of this, but I've there's times where I've been just focusing on PG's mistakes rather than his actual great games. And this is the time where I'm not going to fall back into that. He had a good, he had a great game one. Did they lose? Yeah. I mean, he had, he's had a, he had a solid series against the Jazz. Granted, some games were up and down, but he had a solid series. Of course, when he missed the two free throws, you know, Twitter just was like, oh, oh, here we go, here we go. Mm-hmm. So I think jumping the gun real quick. Um, I will say he does have to, you know, get back to that game one mentality and, like, you know, Ryan says, kind of get back up to that level and maybe even increase it a little bit, especially without Kawhi. But um, I think jumping the gun a little bit. So, uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, and Chris Paul's coming back. It just makes it tougher. So, mm-hmm. Brooks, we're going to shout out the land one more time real quick, bro. Can we talk about Monty Williams on the coaching tip, bro? Just just, just rave about Monty for me for a couple of minutes because my boy didn't win the coach of the year, and I'm starting to feel that slander on my shoulders for him because he ain't really internalizing it too much, but he got these players playing. How are you feeling about Monty right now? Listen, man, I ain't even from the county, and I got a chip on my shoulder for him. <laughs> you should have – listen – if we're if we're gonna give all the credit in the world to CP3, save some for Monty Williams too because second year as as a Phoenix Suns coach, we saw what he did in the bubble, we saw what he did with the great point guard around another great guard. Man deserves some credit. Simple as simple and plain. Once again, man, PG County raising the bar in the basketball community. We saw the best. We saw one of the best playoff performances this year from KD. Two of them, really, because he had a great game seven. Mm-hmm. We saw Monty Williams is out here coaching his ass off. Troy Weaver just got the number one pick, and he's another PG County native. Listen, man, Maryland, PG County, we're doing the damn thing, man. I'm not gonna take this chip off the shoulder until Monty Williams wins a coach, wins wins a wins a title. Uh, that is, but listen. They're the shit. They're the repping shit. The, repping the land respectfully right now. All right, guys, we're going to red robin this one before we move on to the Hawks Milwaukee series. Then we're going to close out with some trash stuff. Ryan, one X factor in the series. I have to go with Terrence Mann, especially considering how he ended the last series. I know he struggled in the first two games. I definitely expect him to be more explosive in game three. I do think that there is a chance. That he goes off and has a big game tonight. So we'll see. Ian, one X Factor in the series. Put some respect on my man campaign, man. Yes, sir. Please put some respect on my man campaign. He's had an incredible journey. If you don't know, he's been in and out of the G League overseas and back. He's he's playing like his life is on the line, really, and it showed in that game. Um, I only say this because when Chris Paul comes back, he's going to need that, not necessarily that same level of production, but he's going to have to, you know, not necessarily lead that second unit, but be another productive scorer and finisher and even a little bit of a playmaker once Chris Paul comes back. So keep an eye on campaign. Brooks, X Factor in the series. Mm, they said campaign. And what, what was Ryan's take again? Ryan had Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann, man. I'm going to say it's health. It's just got health, physical and mental, man. 
is Paul George going to be able to bounce back from the, the the bad stretch he had in the fourth quarter? I don't think I th- he, he obviously he hit those two big shots in the closing moments, but when he missed two free throws, that's all everybody cares about. So is he going to be able to come back and have a revenge game and deliver the Clippers a win when they're down two well right now? You gotta you gotta tie the series up at home, you know. And then can Chris Paul? What's what's Chris Paul gonna look like? Because he's he's been off for a week. I assume that he hasn't had too much basketball activity. Um, again, the dude's a millionaire, so he probably has a basketball court around him. But it's gonna be interesting to see what his conditioning is like. Uh, Devin Booker, we saw his nasty nose and what that looked like. You gotta figure out is everybody gonna everybody? Excuse me, I'm sorry. Is everybody gonna be good moving forward, uh, health wise, mentally and physically? X Factor for me is Ty Lu. That boy been making adjustments like crazy the last two series. Only way you can get out of a two uh a O two hole is coaches gotta make a play. Everybody got the Suns winning this series or are the clips coming back? Clips coming back. Clips in six. I'll say it. I'll just say it. No, I'll just I'll just say it. I don't believe it, but I'll take it. I don't believe it, but I'll take it. You said what? I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll 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 be the one to say the Clippers can can win in six. And they win in four straight? I'll say it. I'll take it. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. I don't care. Now say you do Cause every, cause, you No, because everybody else is taking the Suns. So someone's got to take the Clippers. I mean, you don't have to. I mean, you someone's got to, though. Someone's got to. You could just join the party, Brooks. I mean, you could just no, 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 root no, no, for no, the no, Suns. No, I'm, 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 I'm going to be the contrarian today. I'm going to take the Clippers in six. Okay, got you. Then we're going to move to the series where I get to act a fool. Let's go over and talk about these here oh. Hawks, bro. I'm not going to reiterate any live stream stuff. If you wasn't there, it'd be square. That's how I'm going to put it. But the Atlanta Hawks is in the Eastern Conference Finals now, my boys. So first off, Ryan, how do we feel about the, how do we feel about the Atlanta Hawks in this series? This will be my second formal apology on this podcast. So, here we go. To the Atlanta Hawks. Let me get my phone. Let me get my phone. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you time, Ian. That's fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. To the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Clint Capella, <laughs> Bogdan Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, the rest of the players, the staff, the coaches, specifically Nate McMillan. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was wrong. I, I thought the Hawks were not going to make it out of the first round. They proved me wrong. Didn't think they were going to beat the 76ers. They proved me wrong. Now they're facing the Bucks. They actually have a chance to go to the finals now. I'm pretty confident. Because if we're looking at this team from top to bottom, Nick McMillan is having his best coaching series in his career. Trey Young is having maybe the best playoff run of his young career. And this is the first time he's in the playoffs, keep in mind. Clint Capella has to be that guy against Giannis. I mean, we have we have to see that that front court matchup. And if Clint can dominate in the paint, I think that's going to be one of the reasons why the Hawks take over in this series. But I will say, Coach Budenholzer, it's put up or shut up. You got to win this series. You have to secure your job. You have to make sure you make this. You get this team to the finals because we know how long it's been since this team's been to the championship. So it's put up or shut up now for Mike Budenholzer. 
Three things. One, it felt so good to hear that apology a second time. <laughs> Number two, shout out to the to the man Nate McMillan. I've been saying this for like three, four years, bro. I've said this probably at least um, at least five, six times on the pod that this man got dealt the raw card when it came to him in Indiana. Give this man actual talent. Former guard in the league, man. Give this dude some actual bucket getters to work with, and he's gonna be a problem. And here we go. He gave him the gave him ATO the land, and here we are. And then number three, bro. I have to disagree with you on one point that you made, and that's about Clint Capella's impact on this series. I hate to break it to you, but I really think that three point shooting is gonna have a lot more to do with this. I think the three point shooting of of the team as a whole and Trey Young's ability to knock down that floater, uh, based on what I've seen. Um, and what I've heard about Milwaukee's defense, their main thing is that they love to funnel players, specifically the guards, into that little running floater. Well, I'm going to tell you all a crazy stat. This, I ain't really got the number on hand, but I heard this very, very, like numerous times. Trey Young, like, led the league by a long shot in floater attempts. Oh, he playing the Milwaukee Bucks, who, who all they want you to do is go do that? If he hits even 50% of these types of shots, he's gonna, it's going to be a long series for the Bucks, and it's going to give Atlanta a really good chance in the series. Ian, how do we feel about this actual matchup, though, X and O-wise, right? Everybody's like, put Drew on Trey, and they're done. Look, you, I, there's not going to be any Drew Holiday slander on this podcast. I would not respect it. I understand how Game Seven went. He was slow, late, came back and came, came back in the waning moments of that game, and really helped. Really was a big factor as to why Milwaukee was able to pull that series out. But X's and O's wise, right? How do you actually feel about this series? What are some things that you expect to potentially see? Well. Look, I said on my podcast and probably even on yours um, way back, but I thought that the winner of the Bucks net series was going to win the finals regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have the Bucks winning this um, series, but it's going to be interesting to see one thing. Um, Jalen, you mentioned the shooting and one of the, I mean, granted Trey's a shot creator, but he does have that pick and roll with Capella. I want to see, let's say if they put, if they do put Drew on Trey or PJ, I'd rather say have Drew on, on Trey anyway, just speed wise. But I want to see how Drew defends that PNR with Capella because it, at one point it was bothering Ben Simmons. I mean, and for as good as a defender as Ben Simmons is, it was bothering him from time to time. I want to see how he defends that PNR because even that could be an X factor in itself, how they defend that. Um, I do agree that, you know, Capella will have to step up big time, whether it be against Giannis or even against Brooke, who was having his way in the paint in not only in the series before, you know, the Celtics, but even in that, I mean, not the Celtics. Who do the Bucks even play? I completely forgot. Oh, the Heat. Wow. Wow. That was a while ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he had his way with Bam out of bio, believe it or not. So um, I want to see what happens with Capella. Um, and then I do agree it comes down to shooting. Um, if the Hawks can, can continue their consistent shooting, it's going to be closer than I think. If the Bucks are shutting them down early and often, I don't think it's close, but we'll see what happens. Um, it's going to be very interesting, but I really want to see that PNR. That's going to be a big factor. Yeah, I think another thing to touch on is two things that I kind of look at from an X and O standpoint. The first thing is that Trey Young has been gotten really good at drawing contact. I think that's one of the things that's going to be huge. And Milwaukee's really good at not committing fouls. 
Trey Young is very good at drawing the contact to lead to that. The other thing is Milwaukee, very aggressive on both sides of the floor, specifically offensively as a team that loves to drive. John Collins and Clint Capella, very open to taking charges. So I think that's another thing to touch on. Ian, you have something else you want to say? Just, this is very quick. I think especially X's and O's wise, I think it's going to be very difficult matchup wise for the Hawks, mm-hmm. um, especially depending on who you're putting Trey on. And then on top of that, you have, you know, Either, either either it's Collins or Giannis, or no, I'm sorry, Collins or Capella on Giannis. Who's guarding Middleton and then who's guarding Lopez is going to be very interesting. And then the um, rotations wise, you have Herder in there. He played a great game seven. But do you put him on? You know, do you put him on Drew? Do you put him on whether it be a Connaughton? I mean, I think that's the matchup right there, bench wise. But it's going to be very interesting to see how the Hawks uh, use their defensive rotations for the Bucks. Yeah, Brooks. So we've talked a lot about Atlanta, and I understand that's because they're the they're the underdog in the series and everything like that. But how do you feel about Milwaukee going to going into this series? Remember, Bud's on the hot seat. Giannis just signed an extension. Drew and Chris are dumb paid. They're sniffing the finals, and they draw Atlanta. But they're not even coming off that great of a performance. Talking about their series against Brooklyn because. As well as they played, quote unquote, it went to a game seven with Kevin Durant playing by himself, essentially, considering other guys on the floor was Blake Griffin, somebody who once upon a time NBA Twitter wrote off a guy in Bruce Brown in which everybody crucified. I think it was like game three. It was either game three or game four with that late possession. Don't even remind me. Yeah, where everything kind of turned uh, hell over high, uh, high water. And that was a guy who, you know, kind of got lost in the shuffle. Joe Harris, talk about MIA. He brought, he could have he could have made our fraud list had we not talk talked about, about James Harden too long. <laughs> so how do we how do we feel about Milwaukee going into this series? Because I feel like Atlanta's healthier. They have the they have the depth, the personnel available that Brooklyn didn't I mean maybe talent wise in comparison to what Brooklyn was missing out on I don't think that compares to what Atlanta has I think Brooklyn is far far beyond the mortality team when when fully healthy but how do you feel about Milwaukee in this series because I don't know if they can just come in here and think it's going to be a cakewalk just because oh it's Atlanta yeah I wouldn't say it's a cakewalk at all the main the main thing that Atlanta has going for it is the fact that they're playing with house money and and they're playing out their freaking minds, you know what I mean. Trey Young is out here. He's clearly, if he's not, like he's he's probably the best point guard on on him and Chris Paul are probably the two best point guards in the playoffs right now. They're 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 he's 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 stunning. He's amazing. He's getting everything that he that he wants to get and needs to get for this team. Even when he stunk up the place, uh, game seven or game. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing my track of mind. Um. Against the 76ers, game seven against the 76ers, like he came through late and he was able to deliver them a win. You know what I mean? The only thing that really hurts the fact that hurts the Hawks right now is the fact that they lost their best perimeter defender in DeAndre Hunter. So who's getting, who, who do you want to to guard, you know, Chris Middleton and Giannis? John Collins and, and Clint Capella? You know what I mean? John Collins, he's, he's definitely improved a whole lot, but I don't think he has the physicality to match up with either, either of those guys. I don't think he has. The ability to slide his feet and keep up with those guys a whole lot either. Can Clint Capella certainly can't. So it's going to be a very, very tall task, man. The one thing that Giannis has 
and these Bucks have going for them is the fact that they probably just are the more veteran team. They know. I I can't say that they know how to win right now because again, they, this is the first the furthest they've gone with the Bucks and with with Giannis. But they have more pressure on them. They know what they got to do. They know what's at stake. Chris Middleton is emerging as like the guy for them going down the stretch. Drew Holiday, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a great for this series. I think he's going to be really able to get into his bag and lock down Trey, or at least make life very, very difficult for Trey. Because again, the dude was essentially locked up by Trey. Every or Trey was essentially locked up by Ben Simmons at points. So Drew Holiday could bring that same impact despite you know little lack of size there. So I, I'm I'm picking Giannis and the Bucks in, in six. But I think it's going to be a hard-fought series for the Bucks, um, you know. But the NBA is in good hands, man. And I love to see what the Hawks are doing. I love to see what the Suns are doing because it's great basketball and it's great TV. So uh, Ryan, get back to you. Brooks gave us a uh, gave us a who he's picking in the series. Give me an X factor in the series and who you're picking in the series overall. I think my X factor would be Drew Holiday, especially with the game seven that he had. He got off to a really bad start in the first half, struggled into the third quarter, but really picked it up in the fourth quarter. I do think they're really going to need his tenacity on defense. He's been a three, a, a solid three and D guy throughout his entire career. Definitely one of the more underrated defenders for sure. So I think there's a lot of pressure on him to be a phenomenal guard, but also a phenomenal defender against Trey Young. Like, how is he going to be able to stop Trey Young in this series? That's the big question going forward. With that being said, I'm going to go with the Atlanta Hawks at six. I have a lot of faith that Trey Young is going to have maybe his best playoff series in this run. I'm a true believer in the Hawks now. They took down two great teams. Now they have to finish the job in this series. Ian, we flipped him over to the dark side. I hate that you had to be on the other side of the pond when he made this choice, but who you got as the X Factor in this series? And you kind of sneaky Ted told us who you had uh, moving forward, but, you know, still just break it down for the viewers, set it in stone. Um, So just just to say this, I think uh, Ryan had to make that choice because uh, he has a Trey Young jersey, for those of you who don't know. And the fact that he had a Trey Young jersey and still decided to choose him against the Bummy Knicks and then decided to choose him against the 76ers, even though we all knew what was going on in game one anyway. But I think I think he had to. I respect it, Ryan. I respect it. I, I do. I do. I'm not going I'm not going to put you through the ringer anymore. All right. <laughs> um, like I said. Uh, I thought the winner of the Nets Bucks series is going to win the finals anyway. Um, I have to give it to the Bucks. I think they win it in six. People were like, oh, they might sweep. They might win in five. I'm like, clearly y'all have been watching a different Atlanta Hawks because they're not going to get swept. What are you talking about? Um, I picked them for a reason to upset both the Knicks and the 76ers. I just don't think they had it. On top of that, I wasn't a big believer of the 76ers in the, in the playoffs anyway, nor was I the Knicks. But going to the Bucks is a different feeling, especially when you beat an unstoppable guy like KD, you have a ridiculous chip on your shoulder. I love Trey Young, but he is no KD. Um, I will also say this. Um, I-, I love what the Hawks have been doing. I think Nate McMillan is worthy of all the money that's honestly coming his way in the future with this team. Cause I honestly think the Hawks are getting better, but just X's and O's wise, length wise, and even, you know, on both sides of the ball, I think the Bucks win it in six. I say this because I think the Hawk, the Hawks will surprise, maybe even steal a game two or a game four. But then, or maybe even a five. 
but I think the Bucks just in general, I think it would be a ridiculous detriment on Budenholzer and Giannis's legacy if you lose to Trey Young, but then beat KD. I don't care about the the context in this sense. Only the only time I will ever say this, but I gotta say, um, Bucks Bucks and six. And my X factor just quickly is uh, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. I only say this because you can't do what Joe Harris did against the Bucks, and you he is known as a shooter. Granted, he can drive better than Joe Harris, but he's known as a shooter. You have to still I mean he was hitting the shots against Philly, but Philly's not. I mean, Philly will literally allow you to come back. The Bucks won't allow, won't allow you to do that. There is no Kevin Durant that will uh, literally will somebody back there. I love Trey Young, but again, he's smaller. He's going to have to do a lot more in order to will himself back against the Bucks by himself. So that's my X factor. That's my pick. Brooks, you gave us your pick, bro. But what's the X factor you got rolling in this series? I would say it's John Collins. Simply because of the defense that he's going to have to play against Giannis. He's going to get switched out on Chris Middleton, probably Drew Holiday a couple times. Is he going to be able to do his thing on offense? We saw what we see what he's able to do dunking on, on people like Joel Embiid. Is he going to be able to do that against Giannis and, and Space Mountain Brooke Lopez? Like, that's what I want to see. That's what I need to see. And, again, is he going to be able to defend? Like, is, yeah, is, is this two-way performance two-way playoff series for him. This is going to be, like, the biggest thing for him. The guy looking for a huge contract. The guy thinks he's a max player. Now is the time to show us that you're a max player. Because we see what you can do. We saw the highlights. We we saw the the yams. We saw the viral t-shirt that you have. So go out there and show us what you're worth, man, because it's no no better time to nut up than right now against the, the, who's to call it, 76 I mean, not 76 Bucks. Sorry. Yes, sir. I had, my X Factor, bro, is expectations, for real. Because I feel like Atlanta, Ian said it beforehand, playing with house money. The Bucks, they are under the gun. The last time they were this close, they faced the Raptors and got 4 old after getting happy. So I think it's something to keep it in consideration. They've come off of two very disappointing years. Um, in the playoffs, this is probably one of their best chances to not only make the finals, but honestly, maybe even win the whole dang thing. They probably took out the biggest, probably the biggest threat in their way outside of maybe Phoenix if Phoenix ends up finishing the job. Um, and definitely in the Eastern Conference in terms of talent. But y'all know what time it is, bro. I'm taking Atlanta in seven games. And it's at the mere fact that shooters gonna shoot. And in seven games, I can bet on my guys hitting shots enough to win us four out of those seven. And I'm gonna take my guys. So let's let's see what's up with that. But I I think that Atlanta. I agree with uh, Ian Brooks, Brian. I agree with you all in terms of saying that I really think that this idea that people think Atlanta is just gonna get swept is ridiculous. If they do, shame on me for having a little too much belief in a team that's already played above their belt. But come on now, this team is a lot better than you think. And if they had DeAndre Hunter, I think we'd probably even be a little bit more convincing to most people. All right, so we're going to close up the pot on something a little less like, you know, a little too, a little less drastic. We're just going to do cool little winners and losers all reacting to last night's NBA draft lottery. For those who didn't see, the the lottery uh, finished out with Detroit getting the number one overall pick. And then rounding that out was Houston at number two. Cleveland at number three, Toronto at number four, Orlando at five, Oklahoma City at six, Golden State at seven, Orlando again via Chicago at eight, Sacramento at nine, New Orleans at 10, 
Charlotte at 11, San Antonio at 12, Indiana at 13, and Golden State once again at 14. So, Ryan, with the ping pong balls falling and us finally, after months and months of Sims on Tankathon, finally getting an actual set order, who is a winner or loser you would like to list off today following the NBA Draft Lottery? I would say a winner is Golden State. This is the second year in a row where they have a top 10 pick. So you got you have to give credit to Golden State here. And I think that this is the draft where you find more talent where you can build upon this incredible team that you're about to have, especially considering Clay Thompson is about to be back next season. I would say the loser is the Timberwolves. If there was a draft that you needed to have a pick, it was this one. And I know you had two first-rounders in last year's draft, but like I said, if there was a draft that you needed a top 10 pick, it's this one. Yeah, I have to agree. And they could be a loser in more than one way because maybe I'm just talking out my butt here. But they got two picks in the lottery and a guy named James Wiseman that plays the same position as a guy named Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not saying they're going to make a trade. I'm just saying they could think about it. Ian, winners and losers after last <laughs> night's announcements of the, the draft order. Um, I, I'm going to do one quick winner and then one like actual winner. Is that okay? Is that cool? Mm-hmm. Ah, cool. Um, I think a winner was Swing Cash's reaction to the Pelicans getting the 10th to tenth <laughs> pick. If you haven't seen the clip, it's hilarious. Viral. She was offended getting getting uh that pick like legitimately offended it was one of the highlights of it it's also a very She's, dramatic show i love it she was um, already seeing the future without zion Williamson, man that's what that's what it was <laughs> <laughs> um but but my number one winner honestly um honestly i have to say it's it's um hmm. i want to go with orlando actually uh two first round picks and you know they could actually benefit from this vucevic trade which actually looked somewhat Iffy when they got rid of him during the trade deadline. Um, they have two picks. I want one is at eight from Chicago, and the other one is at five. Now they have stuff they can actually utilize depending on who they get as their head coach. Um, my loser, Ryan already took one with the Timberwolves. I 100% agree. I'm not going to go in more in depth, but I, it's weird. But the Thunder are a loser to me. The Thunder are an actual loser to me. Why? Oklahoma had a 52.5% chance of its own pick landing in the top five. And then a 47.9% chance of Houston, who have the number two pick, bear in mind, falling out of the number five. Those are pretty good odds, and none of that happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) None of that happened, meaning there are some slight implications for that that PG trade, interestingly enough, but that's besides the point. But, I mean, none of of that happened. Um, Granted, they still have three picks. That's why it's an interesting loser. But, I mean, they could have had way more to honestly, like, be a threat in the draft if they had five. That's all I'm going to say. But, um, granted, they can still utilize the three, but they could have had far more damage based on what the trades have been doing. So, yeah. I mean, that and now the fact that, I mean, I, I, I understand why you say an interesting loser because, yes, six is not bad. They it, It's been described that it's a five-person draft that could be six depending on how you view Scotty Barnes. But the other thing that I would say, too, is, there was like mad scenarios where they could have got one in five, two right. in four. Like there were mad scenarios where they could have got two of the, we'll say, top six guys. 
And now they're kind of left having to pick whoever's the leftovers of everybody. Because uh, I know that at the end of the day, they're probably going to go best player available unless it just completely is away from fit. Uh, Brooks, winner and or loser in the NBA draft lottery after last night's announcements of the Man, win. I already mentioned my boy Troy Weaver from, uh, from, from Detroit in the PG County, man. So I'm going to stick with him as the winner. Uh, loser? Loser, I, I would, I'll stick with New Orleans, man, because again... You already see this report last week talking about oh Zion Williamson's family is upset with with the Pelicans. Uh, they're they're looking for a new black head coach in order to help relate to Zion, and then you end up losing ground in the lottery, and now you got to pick ten in a draft that is deep but not deep. Still figuring out a whole lot of things. Top five seems pretty legit. But you know you, you still got a lot of things to figure out. What you're gonna do is with Brandon Ingram, and uh, no, not Brandon Ingram, uh, Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart. You know, there's a whole lot of questions going into this off season, man. So I feel like not having a top five pick hurts the Pelicans more more than anything else in being able to help add more talent to help out Zion. Because again, I told and I, I spoke with this, spoke with you guys about this earlier. Like on that on paper, that was a playoff team. They just couldn't defend for shit. And their coach wasn't able to really adjust to anything. So, yeah, I think the Pelicans are the biggest loser. And Troy, Troy Weaver is the biggest winner. For me, my winners and losers coexist. And I got a lot of homerism behind it. The winners in this for me is definitely Orlando having two picks. One in the top five is huge. And also being able to get that one at eight. Conveying from Chicago was huge as well. I think that's big time for a team that's trying to rebuild my loser, as I said, being the homer that I am, coexists within that eighth pick conveying to Orlando because now Chicago only has the 38th pick in the NBA draft to get somebody else to hopefully, fingers crossed, replace the guy known as Ryan Archie Diacono as my backup point guard. I'm praying on the 38th pick to be somebody clutch. I'm feeling like I'm not going to be able to get that pull. So, unfortunately, Chicago's not going to get that much better through the draft, considering the circumstances. Fellas, the podcast had just about everything that you could have assumed it was supposed to have following the second round that was so eventful. So, I appreciate you guys for coming on. Brian, get us up out of here. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who is one winner and one loser from last night's NBA draft lottery? We would like to thank once again our guest Ian and Brooks for coming on and talking NBA playoffs with us, and we will see you guys next episode. Peace.